Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, largest book in the Bible. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor in the way of sinners, nor in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is, on the, is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Which tells me that for uh, many of us who want to read the Bible more in 2020, a lot of people are on reading plans. I think those are great. Everyone wants to read the Bible more. We want to grow in our knowledge of God more. We know that the Word is how we grow with God. For those who want to start 2020 off the right way, the psalmist would say that the, the way to meditate on the law more and more, the way to meditate on God's Word day and night is to grow in our delight of His law. Therefore, I think there could be no more godlier prayer than to pray to the Lord, Lord, give me a delight for Your Word. Father, I want to I desire You more. Sometimes just praying that God would help you to want Him more is itself a very holy, godly, love, Christ-centered prayer. Uh, and I think I need that as well as uh, a lot of you all do. I think a lot of us are trying. We have busy schedules where just life gets hectic and we just struggle to find time to read the Bible. And I think a lot of times the first thing that needs to happen is not you clearing out your schedule. The first thing that needs to happen is you praying to the guy who wrote this book, which is the Lord. It's good to see you all this morning. I have a rule that I abide by. I don't always, I mean, usually I abide by it. And it's a rule that I would advise all the men in here to abide by. And the rule goes like this. If Kelly asks me to do something in the house and I don't want to do it, I will never come back to her and tell her all the things that I have already done that day. That never works. In fact, it's a trap. Um, I'm digging myself a, a hole because if I ever do that, she is instantly going to come back and do what? She's going to tell me what she did. And that's, that stings because for everything I have to tell her that I've already done, she's already got five things I didn't even know about. You don't do that, men. It's a trap. Love doesn't keep records. Love doesn't keep score. Love doesn't keep a tally. It's impractical and it's ungodly. Only a foolish husband and only a foolish wife will ever keep track of deeds done. Don't ever do it. Because why? That's not the, that's not the nature of love. Love is self-emptying. Self is kind, or love is, is kind, it's patient. It doesn't keep record of wrongs, just like the love of Jesus. In our passage this morning, we're going to read about a man who goes after one woman. He loves her. Loves her with a great love. And because of his great love, he doesn't complain, he doesn't grumble, he doesn't tally, he doesn't go back to his house marking every day he worked for her and go... I don't know if she's worth it. Says it was just like a few days. 
Because of his great love for her, because of Jacob's great love for Rachel, he didn't count the cost. And neither did Jesus. This morning, I want us to read Genesis 29. But as we're reading Genesis 29, I want you to think, and I'm going to help us to think about what's the nature of love? What is love? Satan wants to pervert love as much as he can because love is at the very core of who God is. God is love. So our culture is constantly trying to corrupt and pervert the concept of love. We've got, uh, we've got people who abuse their wives who think that that's love. We have the LGBT community who thinks that what they have is love. We think that 21st century we've rediscovered the essence of love and God says, no, 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 I'm love. Satan is hell-bent on telling us what love really is, throwing in different lies. And we had to come back to the Scriptures. And if we can do that, then we can understand how one man could work 14 years for one woman. Here's the gospel this morning, if I had to boil it down. Jesus saved sinners not so that he could get something out of us, but for the simple and glorious fact that he loved us. He delights to love us, and we delight in his love. If you'll turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29, verses 1 through 30. We're going to read basically the entire chapter. And once you've found it, if you'll stand for the reading of God's word. And Moses, by the Holy Spirit, writes, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it, for out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And, he, and see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him one month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. 
Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go in to her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you, decide, have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Let's pray. Father, there's so much in this text. We need your power and your wisdom and your light to understand it all. Father, we need nothing short of your grace to receive your love, to understand your love, and to exhibit your love and, and demonstrate that in our own lives. And Father, it's, it's my prayer this morning that all of us, by reading your word, we may come to a greater appreciation of the love you have shown us in Jesus Christ, which did not count the cost. And that ultimately, Father, we would be able to advance in our love of you even more and that we would worship you for the God you are. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen. <coughs> There's a lot here. There are some things you might have questions about that I just can't answer. I don't know how you don't know it's one woman, but it's another. <laughs> I, I just I, it's, it's important sometimes for a pastor to say he doesn't know, and I don't know that. I don't know how you can, and it says that, it's that Rachel is beautiful in form and appearance, but we have to trust that God's word tells us that there was a switcheroo. And what is really at the core of this passage is not Laban's deception. It's the love of Jacob. And that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. We're going to talk about Leah next week. Uh, because Leah is Jacob's wife. But... This passage in specifically is one that we want to spend time on this morning because it shows us a little bit about how love pursues the beloved. And Jacob was pursuing Rachel with a single-minded love. And here's how I would sum up the passage this morning. Jacob worked 14 years for one woman. And he got two wives. But he, got, but he went for one. Because he loved her. Like Christ, he was willing to endure anything for the one he loved, not counting the cost to himself. So Jacob finally gets to Haran. 
He's so happy to see his family that verse 11 says that he sees Rachel watering her flock. She's a shepherdess, her, her father's sheep. He kisses her and weeps lo- loudly, is what it says. So he's happy. Rachel, who is his first cousin, takes Jacob to Laban, to Laban, his uncle, and then Laban says, you're my bone and my flesh. You're family. It's a family affair. We saw last week that Jacob was essentially sojourning in a land that he had really had never been to, didn't know where he was, and now uh, they're receiving him with open arms. So Jacob goes to work for Laban, and Laban lets him determine his own salary, and Jacob says, I'll work seven years for your daughter Rachel. Verse 18 simply says, Jacob loved Rachel. He loves her so much, he's willing to work seven years for her. Laban says yes. Jacob starts working, and then in what is one of the most remarkable verses, I would say, in the entire book of Genesis, here's what it says. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Only a few days. Seven years just seemed like a few days. Remember that the next time you want to complain about taking out the trash, man. Just a few days worked seven years. My wife and I cleared seven years married last year. That's like if I started working for Kelly. And now, I mean, I just it's inconceivable. But it was nothing to Jacob. He didn't mind at all. It was his pleasure to do it. Jacob doesn't care as long as he gets who? Rachel. That's how much he has, the the love he has for her. And this is something we can learn about real love. Real love doesn't keep record of time spent or time earned. Think about the opposite for a second. We stand in awe of Jacob's love for Rachel. But think about what if Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, but it didn't seem like a few days? What if it seemed like seven years? What if seven years felt like an eternity to Jacob, can you imagine what the marriage would be like? Hey, Jacob, can you vacuum the, the, the bedroom really quick? No, I don't want to do it. Why do you never do things? I've been working all day. Oh, good, better than seven years. He didn't do that. He said, yeah, I'll, I'll work for this woman. I love her. Love serves joyfully and willingly. When Kelly and I first got married... I told Kelly this before I preached because I didn't want her to be shocked because I don't think she ever knew this. Kelly and I, when we first got married, we got into some fights, a couple, not many. <laughs> and I won't mention what it was, but Kelly did something. I, I, can't, I still can't even really remember what it was, which is, furthers my point. Kelly was doing something that really just got on my nerves. I don't remember what it was. But she... I thought it was a big deal, and I was convinced that she needed to cut it out. Kelly's response was that she didn't think it was a big deal, and she didn't think that she did it as much as I thought that she did. And that really just ticked me off. So men, maybe women, you can just get into the mind of a sinful husband. What did I want to do? I wanted to to keep a secret tally of every time she did it. And I did for two times. I kept it. I don't, I, it was in my phone, I think. I'm glad you didn't get it in my phone. <clears throat> and I, I had about two entries. And then about the second entry, I realized I'm not trying to love my wife. 
I'm trying to win an argument. I was trying, being right was more important than my wife's soul. If I were, I mean, I was like a dog chasing a car. I really don't even know what the point was, and I don't even really know how I would have presented it, but all I wanted was to find that time where I finally got to shove it in her face and go, ha! And I'm sure she would have looked at me and be like, you spent that much time documenting every time I did that. My pain and my inconvenience and my offense was more important than blessing my wife. I was keeping tallies. I was holding grudges. And love doesn't do that. Well, what does love do? Well, I'll be, I mean, I get that. I mean, you were trying to prove a point. What, what is love? Well, it's good you ask. Here's 1 Corinthians 13, the, the so-called wedding verse. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's Jacob's love for Rachel. That's what it does. Jacob bears seven years and endures seven years. That's what parents do for their children. Parents do what? We bear and endure. Why? Because our kids are worth it. That's what friends do for each other. Friends endure and friends bear. Why? Because they're friends. If your friend won't endure and bear, they ain't a friend. That's how a marriage operates. This is fact. This is what a marriage is built on. Spouses bear and endure for one another. Because that's love. Love is willing to endure for the good of the beloved. During the holidays, especially, not just during the holidays, but a lot, I see a lot of families that deal with guilt. And this is what I mean. Well, if you guys visit us a little bit more instead of them, maybe we might see you more. Or this. Um, well, you guys spent time with their family last year. I think it's our turn. Marriages do this too. Marriage, I hear marriage, and Kelly and I have dealt with this too, but, but, but husband and wife can do this. But, you know, well, you got to do that with your friend. What about me? Oh, you won't let me go out with her, but you get to go out with him. It happens all the time. It's amazing what sin can do to our memory. Because when you resent something, boy, you got a good memory, don't you? You don't forget it. It's airtight. And what happens? We guilt the people that we apparently or seemingly or claim to love. Love doesn't guilt the beloved. Love gives itself to the beloved. Can you imagine Jacob's reaction in the morning when he wakes up to find that it's Leah instead of Rachel? Can you imagine Jacob's reaction when he has to work another seven years for Rachel? Can you imagine poor Leah's reaction? We tell this all the time in a very man-centered way. What about poor Leah? She's not a hunk of meat. She's a woman. She's got weak eyes, but she's beautiful. If I were Jacob, I'd be looking over Rachel after finding out the, the next seven years, and I'd be doing the math. Fourteen years. Girl, you better be worth it. How does the, how does the flesh not creep in? Especially in America. Can you imagine if Jacob were in America today? Oh, hold on, I'm 25. My goodness, I'm going to be 39. Girl, you're pretty, but man. I mean, you start doing the math. Well, I, mean, I'm, I mean, my goodness, i got things to do. 
When we really don't love people, listen to this, when we really don't love someone for them, when someone's not really worth it, when we're loving them for any other reason than than we love them, we start to turn people into commodities and we dehumanize them. I'll give you an example. I know men that look at women, they go, oh, I got about another 10 years till she starts looking like her mama. Okay. So, oh, she's pretty. All right, I'll marry her. No, that's, you don't love her, you love her what? Beauty. You love yourself. Women can do it too. Hmm, and he's really cute, really godly. What, is, what does he do for a living? How much does he make? Well, you don't love him, you love what? His money. And here's another one. Oh, man, she's so needy all the time. Ah, get off me, woman. It's your insecurities. Can, can you give me a little me time? Raise your hand if you've ever... No, don't, just don't do that. <laughs> in a marriage, we, we, we love, but our flesh creeps in, and we kind of we love them, but not at the expense of me. You can marry a woman. You can marry a man. You can be married for 50 years and still love yourself. I see it all the time. In a marriage, in any relationship, you are either someone's treasure or you are a commodity. But Rachel, she's the treasure. She's worth it. Seven years, it's nothing. Fourteen years, come on. Can you imagine that love? I believe Jacob would have worked 30 years for Jacob, for Rachel. (laughs) This woman is priceless to him. Love gives up treasure to get the real treasure. This is a biblical concept, Matthew 6.21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I spent a week, if, if I spent a week with anyone in this room, I bet you I could determine what your treasure is. Everybody's got one. And I'll throw myself under the bus first before I start to prick your little hearts. I spend money on theology and history books. And look, my wife's giving me a stare right now. Most of y'all think that's crazy. If you knew how many books I beat. And I don't even read them sometimes. I read most of them. But it's worth it to me. Some of you all, now it's your turn. Some of you all will sit in a tree stand, in a tree, and there's nobody around, and it's cold, and there ain't no deer. And you love it. Because why? It's worth it to you. You love it. You have fun. I'm not done. There are some of you who will get up in, at 5 o'clock in the morning and go work out. You'll actually run. You work, you'll actually get up to run. I don't know why you do it. But you do it. Why? Because it's worth it to you. There are some of you all. I'm, really, I'm, I'm going to really start uh, ducking here. Some of y'all love some big trucks. Look out there right now. There are some trucks that are bigger than if you put three of my cars on top of one another. And you love it. Why? Because it's worth it to you. Everybody's got a treasure. 
And all I got to do is spend a day with you to figure out what it is. I was hoping my Emory students were here. They, some of them study ungodly amounts, more than they need to. But why? Because it's worth it to them. My point is, if there were no treasures in life, you would virtually have no motivation to do anything. Everybody's going after something. And the gospel is about that. The gospel locks in on that. So that Christianity isn't doing something that we really don't want, but we kind of do it anyway. See, that's what the Holy Spirit does in our hearts, is it changes our hearts so that Jesus is our treasure. You will lock on to something in this life. The gospel is taking that natural motivation you have to seek something with all of your heart, to give your time, to give your money, to give your worship, and now it becomes Jesus. And you'll tell by your money and your time and your worship if Jesus is king or not. For Jacob, 14 years is nothing. Why? Because Rachel is worth it. She's the treasure. In fact, the scriptures often describe a beautiful woman, a godly woman, as a treasure. Proverbs 31.10, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. And this is precisely why God gave us marriage, so that we could begin to understand what real love is like. Marriage is a test case for the gospel. Marriage is a crucible by which you are shown how to love someone other than yourself. If I married Kelly for her cooking, cooking's great. If I married her for cooking, why did I really marry her? What did I love? Loved food. If I love Jesus so that I can get heaven, who do I love? Jesus or heaven? Heaven. Loving God means loving God for no other reason than God. We want God because He is supremely valuable to us. God doesn't just ask us to follow Him and worship Him and obey Him and be His disciples if He's not worth it. Therefore, we follow Christ and we don't count the cost because we love Him more than anything. God is worth it. Christ is worth it. His love is worth it. His righteousness is worth it. His faithfulness is out of this world. His holiness is something we've never seen. God is precious to us. And the gospel puts that on full display when we look at the cross. Because when we see a dying Christ, when we see a God-man who took on flesh so that he could live the life that we never could and die in our place, when we look at that, we say, that is a God who is worth my time and worth my life. Imagine if Jacob had started working those seven years and then he got to like year three and he was like, this is hard. What was that? Is that another sister over there? Man, she's good looking. How about this? I'm going to keep working for Rachel and I'm going to go and talk to her. That's kind of what people do when they start going to church and they start reading the word and they start believing in the gospel and they get baptized and they go to a church and then they're on the Christian life and they go, who's that? No, I'm, I'm still a Christian. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to check this out though. And she, she looks nice. Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to church but I'm just not going to read my Bible now. You know what? I'm going to no, read my Bible a little bit but I'm... 
I'm going to leave my small group and leave my friends and follow these people now. Those are people who fell in love, but they lost their first love. And somewhere along the line in the Christian life, in the seven years, they went, I don't think Jesus is worth it anymore. People who stopped obeying God's word, they just found another woman who looked better. We don't come to church so that we can do things for Jesus. We come to church because Jesus is worth our work. He's like Rachel. It's like a few days. Now, Christianity's hard. But we never count the cost. He's worth our lives. He's worth our time. He's worth our schedule. He's worth our, our job. He's worth our family. He's worth our kids. He's the one we want. If Jesus isn't worth your work, here's something to think about. If Jesus isn't worth your work, then you'll start acting like God owes you for your work. Hey, I followed you all my life, Jesus. Where's heaven now? Give me what I, give me what I was doing. Just like, just like if, you know, had, had, had Jacob gone into seven years and she wasn't working? Seven years, good. See you, LeVant. Rachel, come on, we're going. That's not how he treated a woman. That's not, how I, that's not how I treat Christ. I owe nothing to Christ. Have you ever seen a husband who's been married to his wife for so long and he still doesn't think he's good enough for her? He still doesn't think he deserves her. And he serves her. And he loves her. And he showers praise on her. Have you ever seen what, a, what love looks like when a man is married to a woman and he thinks that she is so beautiful and so kind, so smart, so godly, there is no way he could ever get anything better and she is still worth the time? There's Christianity. Have you ever seen a man who's been married to his wife so long that he's starting to think that, yeah, She's my wife. I kind of deserve her. That's an awful marriage. And what happens? The woman gets it taken advantage of and she is uh, taken for granted just like many people stroll into a church and think that Jesus is just something that they can get. I've been married to Kelly for almost eight years and I still don't deserve her. I've been walking in God's grace as a Christian for 20 years and I still don't deserve God's grace. <laughs> Jesus is supremely valuable to me, and he is my treasure. Here's something that John Piper said. Read it. It's hard, but it's good. And then I'm going to interpret it in case Piper gets above our heads. If you come to God dutifully offering him the reward of your fellowship, instead of thirsting after the reward of, your fel of his fellowship, then you exalt yourself above God as his benefactor and belittle him as a needy beneficiary, which is evil. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. In other words, unless God is your treasure and your joy, unless God is worth it, unless you thirst and desire and quake after God and you are seeking after him and him first, unless you love God above all things, what you're really doing to God at the end of your life is going, hey, I did all that stuff for you, now give me what I need. Give me what I work for. But the people who love God with all their heart, soul, and mind, they get to the end of their lives and they're like, 
I need your grace. Put yourself in Rachel's shoes real quick. Put yourself in Rachel's shoes. We talk enough about Jacob. Let's talk about the woman for a second. You've got a guy, never mind that he's your cousin, it's kind of weird, who loves you so much, he loves you so much, that seven years is like a few days to him. The passion, the energy, the drive, he shows up every day and he loves you more and more. And you're like, this guy's so into you, there's no other woman for him. Even your sister's not good enough. It's you he wants. And he's telling everybody about you. He's showering you with praise every single day. He comes back and it's like 51st dates. He loves you more and more every day. How do you feel as a woman? You feel like you're on top of the world. Now imagine you have a God who you've sinned against who says that instead of giving you what you deserve, I'm going to become one of you. I'm going to live the life that you could never live. I'm going to die in your place. I'm going to suffer the wrath of God in your place. I'm going to absorb the full condemnation. I'm going to take it away on your account so that you can be counted free. You're going to be justified. I'm going to be condemned. I will die by the very people who need to be punished. I will raise on the third day. I will be resurrected. I will ascend to the Father and then I I will forgive you of your sins because I love you. How do you feel now? The same way Rachel felt. Undeserving, blessed, and willing to submit to someone who loves you with a great love. That's the gospel. If you think Jacob working 14 years is something, if you think Jacob working 14 years is love, wait till you've seen Jesus coming after his bride. He gave more than his wages. He gave more than his time. He gave more than his youth. He gave more than his marriage. He gave his life. That's the love of the gospel. This morning I invite you to come and be loved by a God who has shown us immeasurable grace. And all we have to do is receive his son for salvation. Let's pray. Father, you came after your bride with everything you had. You didn't count the cost. You didn't give us what we deserved. We are a dirty, needy, ill-deserving bride, and yet you have showered us with love and grace. What have we done to deserve it? We've done nothing. You love us for no other reason than you are who you are. And you're willing to overlook who we are because you're a God who loves. Father, help us to understand that the gospel is never something we can earn. It's only something we can receive. And Father, for those who have never received the free gift of Jesus Christ, Father, I pray that you would move their hearts by the Holy Spirit so they desire Jesus above all things. In your Son's name. Amen.